Hello and welcome to Proudly Off Payroll. I'm James Poyser. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Innie Accounts. And this is where I share my insights and opinions on the consulting and contracting industry. In today's episode number six, I'll be sharing why focusing solely on your contract and ignoring working practices is a first-class ticket to being pushed inside IR35. So I'm often surprised, uh, more so given how close April 2021 now is, how many people get in a complete muddle about what's important and what's not when it comes to IR35 status. And I include clients, agents and contractors alike in this cohort. And this month we've had a, a salient reminder of how IR35 status is determined in practice. And that's thanks to Kay Adams's IR35 appeal case, which the TV star won, beating HMRC's legal challenge and upholding her position outside IR35. This case reminds us of the biggest myth that we need to bust is that IR35 is determined by looking at the contract in isolation. This is a myth. It's about the realities of the actual working practices and how you operate your business. And this can go in your favour, like in Kay's case, where her strong business practices were the deciding factor in her being outside IR35. It can also go against you. If your contract looks robust and strongly outside IR35, but your actual working practices betray this, then you're likely to end up inside IR35. But simply, you don't get to choose the best bits from your contract and your working practices. If your contract says you can't send a sub, uh, sorry, if your contract says you can send a sub, but the reality is your client won't accept one, then you simply cannot send a sub. It's as simple as that. A clear and clever contract isn't a guarantee to being outside IR35. I know this is a source of real frustration for many contractors and consultants. Their contracts say one thing, but they've been determined inside IR35 thanks to assessed inputs that contradict the contract. That's because when it comes to IR35, contracts aren't sacrosanct. Contracts are important and are a starting point. But when making an IR35 determination, the person making the determination has to look at the reality of the actual working practices. This goes some way to explaining why so many people now find themselves unexpectedly inside IR35. What's also really interesting is that this is also a two-way street. Look at the recent Uber case. The contract said the drivers were self-employed, but the working practices showed Uber drivers were in fact employees and therefore entitled to the benefits and protection of employment. Many Uber drivers want working practices to trump contracts and to be employed, not self-employed. On the other hand, many contractors want contracts to trump working practices to remain self-employed or in business. So how on earth do we square this? Let's consider Kay Adams again. There are parts of her engagement with the BBC that would suggest she's inside R35, and this formed the basis of HMRC's challenge. But her business practices and how she ran her business are well established over two decades. And she has many clients beyond the BBC. And it was clear to the judge presiding over the case that she was outside IR35 after all. 
There are two useful learnings for contractors and consultants from this case. First, Kay demonstrated that she truly was in business on her own account and this was pivotal in being found outside IR35. And there are a couple of practical considerations here. First, in order for this to have weight, you truly need to be in business on your own account. Do you have multiple concurrent clients? Do you have employees? Do you have a dedicated office? For many contractors and consultants, being in business on their own account simply isn't as robust as K's. Which leads on to many contractors and consultants' frustrations. End clients aren't involving them in the status determination process. How can clients establish the strength of this factor and overall IR35 status if they're not seeking this information from the consultant or contractor? Well, they can't. They are making an assumption on your behalf. This means if you have a strong case for being in business on your own account, many IR35 determination status processes will leave you short-changed. So my recommendation here is to gain a solid understanding of being in business on your own account. And if you have a strong case, use this and perhaps cite Kay's case when you challenge your SDS. The second learning from this case is the importance of working practices. You cannot rely on what your contract says alone to guarantee being outside IR35. It might be helpful to visualise this as a Venn diagram. Two circles that overlap. One is your contract and one is your actual working practices seen through the lens of the person making the determination. IR35 status determination happens in the overlap of these two circles and the size of the working practices circle is bigger than you think. Too many consultants and contractors focus just on the contract terms and end up being disappointed with the outcome. The good news is that you may have a great deal more influence over your working practices than you think. And that's the key message for this podcast. Take responsibility for your working practices. I like to say it's about walking the walk, about being overt about your walking practices. And for those of you uh, with a tech background, you might know the phrase, if it quacks like a duck and walks like a duck, then it must be a duck. Well, if you walk like you're outside R35 and you talk like you're outside R35, then you're on the path to being outside IR35. And by this, we mean your mindset, your approach and your working practices should all clearly point to a B2B engagement. The outside R35 approach is as different as today is tonight. And you'll need to ensure you're living this approach every day. So if I can press home one key message in this episode, it's this. Your contract is not the be-all, end-all. More specifically, and this is what you need to remember, somebody, somewhere, will determine your IR35 status based on what they know and what they have observed about you or people in your role. Here's three really quick tips for you. First, undertake an assessment of your working practices through your own eyes as you see it. If you're an any accounts client, use our working practice uh, assessment tool, answer the yes-no questions, and it will show your strengths and weaknesses in the six key status areas. If you're not an any accounts client, and why not already? Um, but if you're not, you can get an assessment done by companies such as Kingsbridge, QDOS, or IR35 Shield. 
Now, once you've done that, do the same working practice again. But this time, imagine doing it through the eyes of your client's risk-averse lawyer based on what they've observed of you. You now have two assessments, how you think your working practices look and how your client thinks they look. And you can guarantee that HMRC will be more closely aligned with your client than you. So now compare them. Look at the gaps. Where are the big differences? What can you do to close the gaps? And the trick here is to understand who will be undertaking your assessment and being very overt about the positive behaviours that will close these gaps, like making a laboured point of not using internal HR systems to book annual leave, like reminding your client that you cannot be moved onto other projects without a contract amendment, like pulling up your hiring manager when you appear on an org chart without the word contractor under your name. You need to be an overt IR35 working practices pedant, uh, but obviously without being obstructive. You need to find the right balance here. And this isn't just about your April 2021 determination either. You now need to do this for your entire consulting and contracting career. Why? Because you can expect, and we're already seeing, diligent end clients undertaking audits every six months to check actual working practices correlate with IR35 status. The last thing end clients want is HMRC knocking on the door and discovering how contractors actually work is very different from how the client thinks they work. And if you know any teachers, you'll know the look on their face when they discover that Ofsted is visiting and schools hold hold uh, mock studs and, and practice for this. And you should do the same thing with your working practices. Ask yourself, if HMRC reviewed your working practices tomorrow, what would they find? So therefore, if come April 2021, uh, you find yourself outside R35, you could argue it's your client's problem. If you end up being inside R35, it's the client's li- liability. So why should you bother? Why should you care? Well, here's why. If a contractor with that attitude was engaging with a business, they'd be seen as a risk. The risk not only of being reassessed inside R35, but the risk of raising an inquiry from HMRC that spans the entire client's consultant and contractor workforce. And if I were that end client, I would terminate them at the earliest opportunity. Things are too busy to deal with loose cannons. So, in conclusion, going forward, Dealing with IR35 needs a mature, professional and pragmatic outlook. There needs to be a healthy respect of and agreement on working practices, and that is from both sides of the table, from you and your client. And this brings me on to my closing remark. If you don't like how your client operates, then don't engage in tit-for-tat retaliation. It's a waste of energy. Find a better client who understands IR35 and assesses it fairly. That's it for this episode. If you'd enjoyed it, please do subscribe for the next episode and let me know what you think. Please send me a message on LinkedIn if you have any questions and come along and follow any accounts on LinkedIn. You'll always find the latest uh, fresh news from the from the coalface of the consulting and contracting market. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.